0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, more Mississippi businesses are opening this week as the governor eases restrictions on outdoor sport and entertainment.
2: Then, From a hospital perspective, we still feel like we're in the middle of this and not on the other side, uh, not even on a plateau.
0: Health experts in the state remain guarded as the number of coronavirus cases increase. Plus, find out how those who fully recovered from COVID-19 can help patients currently fighting the virus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Amusement parks and outdoor entertainment facilities are back in business after more than two months of being closed because of the coronavirus pandemic. Governor Tate Reeves' new executive order loosening restrictions on those establishments went into effect yesterday morning.
3: Playgrounds, racetracks, water parks with strict health guidelines and rules. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no such thing as a non-essential business to those people who rely on its paycheck for their food and for the roof over their head. Do we need racetracks and water parks for most people to survive and live quality lives in our state? No, of course not. But does that small business owner and their employees need them open to survive? Absolutely yes, they do.
0: Mississippians remain under the state's safer-at-home order for another week until June 1st. The governor extended his previous order that expired yesterday. He says the order is necessary to continue flattening the curve while safely getting people back to work.
3: That is the order which recommends people stay at home as often as possible and ask those in the most vulnerable category to shelter in place. We know that this virus is particularly cruel to those who are over the age of 65. We know that this virus is particularly cruel to those with pre-existing conditions like hypertension and heart disease. We've asked those individuals to continue to shelter in place. My hope and my expectation is that by June 1, we will be able to allow that to expire. However, there will still be guidelines in place for businesses, but we will be out of the business of closing down anybody, I hope.
0: The number of active outbreaks of the coronavirus in long-term care facilities continues to grow across Mississippi. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says they're on track to test every resident and employee of nursing homes in the state within their planned two-week time frame.
4: We are ramping up. Um, We have done uh, dozens um, of of nursing homes um, So far, you know, we have about 200 in the state, and and I I think we had like 18 a day on the schedule at at, at some point. So um, we're still moving through that quickly. There are a couple of mechanisms for that to occur. Either the nursing homes can do them themselves and submit them to their normal lab process, to the private labs, or we'll come do it for them with our partners in the National Guard, and that's been the majority of folks have have done that. We've seen some really um, interesting things, and I think it, it actually tells a nice narrative so um, we have found some unknown outbreaks or, or additional cases, but, but in places that have had really good infection control practices, a lot of times we'll find zero cases. Um, actually, if they haven't reported any, most of them will not have any cases whatsoever, and so that's fantastic to understand that their processes are working. Or even sometimes we'll find um, a, a, a nursing home that has maybe one resident that's known infected and we'll check everybody else and they're negative, Reinforcing that proper infection control done diligently is effective, or maybe even one employee, and no one else has it. So if we're doing those things that we know are going to help, it's encouraging, but being uh, strictly compliant with what we know works to prevent the spread of the virus, even in long-term care settings, is going to make a huge difference.
0: As of Monday, the health department says there were close to 2,000 confirmed coronavirus cases in long-term care facilities with more than 300 virus-related deaths. The state health department is continuing to work with UMMC to provide additional one-day collection sites. One site will be available tomorrow in Tallahatchie County at West Tallahatchie High School in Webb. Anyone can be tested who is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms including fever, cough, shortness of breath or sore throat or who has a known or potential exposure to someone confirmed with the virus. Those who want to be tested must first get an appointment by going through a free screening from a UMMC clinician, either through the C Spire Health telehealth app or by phone. Coming up, health experts in the state remain guarded as the number of coronavirus cases increase. This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of total confirmed coronavirus cases in Mississippi has soared past 13,000 with more than 600 deaths since the state's first case back in March. There's also a slight uptick in the number of patients hospitalized with cases of COVID-19. Dr. Alan Jones is chairman of emergency medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells our Michael Guidry that Mississippians need to remain vigilant because there are still a lot of positive coronavirus cases in the state
2: we have done per capita a, a lot of testing uh more testing than a lot of other states um, but we also have seen a fair amount of activity i think uh, the last time i looked we we're somewhere around 14th or 13th in the country in terms of the uh, number of cases per capita um number of positive cases per capita and uh and then, in terms of our hospitals uh we've managed to maintain the ability to take care of these patients and not get overrun and not uh, run out of ventilators and i c u beds uh, but of course, at least from a hospital perspective, we still feel like we're in the middle of this and not on the other side uh, not even on a plateau. We still are seeing hospital census uh, and number of hospitalizations increase so we are still uh, guarded in our outlook for the future,
1: you mentioned that, um, and over the last three weeks, the Governor has started to peel back some of those restrictions he put in place through executive orders, and all the while, like like you 've said you know we 've seen some increase overall since the beginning of may if you if you look at the data, uh, three key data points from the Department of Health hospitalizations ICU bed utilization and ventilator utilization have remained pretty stagnant without any real signs toward a trending decline. The governor has stated publicly that policy is not necessarily designed to stop the spread of the virus, but rather make sure that the hospital system isn't overwhelmed and that care is available should should people need it. And I was curious, and you can speak for yourself or, um, or for the broader medical community, How does the medical community reconcile that public policy with things like the Hippocratic Oath and the first do no harm mandate?
2: I think that we first have to recognize that, uh, you know, it's it is a balance between um, allowing society to continue, uh, you know, allowing individuals to uh, have some freedom and the balance is between that and then. Making sure that the resources are available in, uh, you know, a, a crisis type situation. And it, it's a difficult situation. It's a difficult balance. Um, I, I think that, uh, from a medical, purely medical perspective, not considering anything else, the, the best case scenario would be to continue, uh, policies such as shelter in place indefinitely. But I think we can all recognize as human beings and as citizens of the United States that that is not something that is a sustainable policy for the long term. I think as we have seen at least some stability or slow increases in the hospital numbers, and as time goes on, we learn more about the disease, how it spread, and how to care for it. Um, We can offer guidance uh, for, you know, guarded uh, re-emergence into some of the things that we were doing before with the understanding that there is always the possibility for outbreaks and uh, surges to occur, but we need to we need to be prepared to deal with those when they occur. And I think that as testing has become more prevalent and as we've learned more about epidemiologically the ability to go in and determine sources of outbreaks and isolate those with exposure and those cases, we're more prepared to allow things to begin to open up more than we were at the beginning of this. Uh so that's a long-winded answer to say uh, it's really, really complicated and I think that we are uh you know from a from a policy perspective and a healthcare perspective trying to at least uh, strike the the balance between moving forward and protecting healthcare resources.
1: You mentioned kind of, you know, making sure that that the system can handle any resurgences. Uh with that in mind, recently, the institutions of higher learning uh, have recommended and, and put out a put out a statement saying that it would like its eight public universities to prepare to resume classes in the fall as traditionally as possible. Uh, with the national conversation being that the virus may see uh, a resurgence in the fall, and the governor agrees that he's, he said that he agrees with this decision by the IHL. What is what is your take on it?
2: I think you have to – I think it's reasonable to prepare for the situation where you bring students back on campuses and to go ahead now and go through the exercise of what that planning process looks like Uh, what the mitigation strategies around preventing spread of the virus would be, um, what classes in the future uh, look like, and go ahead and start that planning process with the understanding, and we have um, talked about this at our hospital all along, with the understanding that as you plan for these things and even as you begin to operationalize them, you may have to revert back to something that is more restrictive um, if you have situations where you know, we see resurgences or peaks or um, you know situations that warrant a more restrictive environment. Uh, but I don't think it's wrong to go ahead and begin to make plans on what a post-COVID environment for the educational environment would look like.
1: Let's shift things a little bit, rather than the mitigation efforts, to kind of focus on where we are with with treatment. I know UMMC has undergone a number of clinical trials. I want to specifically ask about antibodies. Where is UMMC in the medical community at large with antibody research and development?
2: When you're testing for antibodies to determine whether person may be have some immunity to uh, the virus or not, it has to be done in a thoughtful manner because um, a lot of the antibody tests are um, not specific to SARS-CoV-2, which is the uh, coronavirus that causes uh, COVID-19, and they have some cross-reactivity to other very common coronaviruses that are endemic in the population so there needs to be uh, at least the way umc is evaluating this and and rolling it out is a plan to get more specific if you do an initial test that is positive for antibodies then to move to a a more specific test that would be able to um, give you a quantification of the degree of antibodies that are available, and if that quantification reaches a certain threshold, where it appears as though there may be some immunity, to then go forward and see if those antibodies actually neutralize, uh, are neutralizing antibodies, or they're antibodies that actually could stop the virus. So our platform is aimed at determining non-immunity, probable non-immunity, or immunity. Uh, and I think that if you deploy something that is uh, thoughtful in that way, then it'll be more, um, you'll get more bang for the buck in allowing the ability to tell people you are immune or you are not immune. And this would be the risk with bringing these types of people back together.
1: Is there anything you'd like to articulate about this pandemic and where we are as a state that I haven't asked you about?
2: There are certain things that people can do as a matter of routine that while they may be considered inconveniences, they really could do a lot to helping us um, control the spread of the virus. Those things are what everybody's heard about but need to continue to practice. Social distancing, obviously. Um, Good hand hygiene. Wash your hands frequently. Be cognizant of what you touch and make sure that after you are touching objects that are high-touch areas to, you know, use hand sanitizer or wash your hands, uh, and wearing a mask uh, and trying to avoid touching the mask or touching your face while you're wearing it. Those things uh, are simple. They may be considered somewhat inconvenient, but they will really contribute to society at large for helping to control the spread And their minor inconveniences for hopefully uh, causing a more rapid cessation of the spread of the virus than we're seeing right now.
1: Dr. Alan Jones is the chair of emergency medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Jones, thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Coming up, find out how those who have fully recovered from COVID-19 can help patients currently fighting the virus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi Blood Services is looking for people who have fully recovered from COVID-19 to donate plasma. Hospitals throughout the state are using that plasma to help treat COVID-19 patients. Researchers believe it contains antibodies that can fight the infection. Merle Eldridge with the nonprofit Mississippi Blood Services says as of last week, they've only collected about 10 units of plasma from recovered COVID-19 patients in the past month, and the need is growing. She spoke with MPB's Ashley Norwood
5: started um, about a month ago um, collecting convalescent plasma from recovered COVID-19 patients. Um, The hope is that the convalescent plasma can be given to people with severe COVID-19 to boost their ability to fight the virus. Um, It also might help keep people who are moderately ill from becoming more ill and experiencing COVID-19 complications. Um, We're working with several hospitals across the state um, to provide that um, plasma
6: to those patients. So um, how great is the need? I guess you could tell me or give us some sort of estimate of how often you get the plasma donations compared to how many donations you think you'll need to actually make an impact.
5: Well, you know, I can tell you that we have had to provide more plasma to the hospital than we've been able to actually draw here at Mississippi Blood Services, Um, We're thankful to work with a larger organization called Blood Centers of America and have been able to find the convalescent plasma to send to the hospitals that we service. So there is a need for recovered COVID-19 patients um, to come in to see us and um, donate plasma for those patients. Um, it's It's a really easy process. What we're doing is we're just asking if you are recovered or you know someone who is, um, you can just visit our website um, and register. And somebody here will contact you to walk through the steps to see if you qualify.
6: Mm-mm, what? Um, so once you qualify, then what's the process of donating plasma? What does that look like?
5: Donating plasma is very similar to donating blood. Um, it is going to take approximately about the same amount of time from the time you get here until the time you leave, maybe a little bit longer. You're going to come in and do a traditional history just like you would if you're donating blood, answer all of the questions. Um, Go through the process um, of donating plasma, and then, of course, your canteen with cookies and juice. Make sure you feel okay. Um, It is an easy process that the staff are going to walk you through, um, and it is very similar to donating blood. Okay.
6: And in terms of the person that would qualify um, or, you know, be fit to make that donation, um, can you kind of outline again who's qualified for that?
5: What we're looking for in these recovered COVID-19 patients that are willing to donate plasma is you've got to meet all the requirements typically needed to donate blood. So you need to be 110 pounds, um, be healthy and cleared by your doctor. Um, we are asking that you be 28 days symptom free. Um, that's a key element in this process. Again, if you go to our website, all of that's detailed out. Um, or you can give us a call here at six zero one nine eight one thirty two thirty two, and somebody can walk through those details with you.
6: Okay. So, and where can people go um, to make do- to make these donations, plasma donations?
5: We are asking anyone who's interested in donating convalescent plasma to register on our website or give us a call at 601-981-3232. We'd like for you to go through the registration process just so we can walk through some questions before you come in. Um, it's an easy process. Again, just visit msblood.com, click on the convalescent um, plasma banner across the top, and it'll take you to the information that you need.
6: Yeah. You know, some people may say, um, you know, I want to give blood. I want to mm-hmm. donate plasma. Um, but maybe they're afraid of... Mm -hmm. Coming into the facility, your facility, Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about maybe some things that you guys are doing to keep folks safe who are coming in and out to donate?
5: Yeah. Um, From the very beginning, Mississippi Blood Services knew that it was going to be important to make our donors feel comfortable and safe when they come in and donate, whether it's at one of our physical locations in Flowood, Cleveland, or Oxford, or on one of our mobile coaches. So we began pretty quickly upping our sanitation efforts. You're going to see our staff clean the units, clean the computers, clean the history stations after every donor um, just to make sure that our sanitation efforts meet the FDA and CDC requirements. We're also making sure that our donors stay six feet apart. Uh, Our beds and our fixed sites are six feet apart, and we're also taking every measure possible on our mobiles to keep our donors six feet apart. So it's been important from the beginning for us to make sure that our donors feel safe when they come in to donate. We're also, on our mobile coaches, temping donors before they come onto the coach to make sure they're not running a temp, and all of our collection staff are wearing masks at all times.
0: That's Merle Eldridge with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Eldridge says only the Flowood location in Rankin County is collecting plasma from people who've recovered from COVID-19. For more information, visit msblood.com. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.